You're listening to the teaching of Doxa Church. Doxa is located in Spartanburg, South Carolina, and our mission is to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. Lee's going to open us up with a passage of scripture from Psalm 118. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Glad songs of salvation are in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord exalts. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. I shall not die, but I shall live and recount the deeds of the Lord. The Lord has disciplined me severely, but he has not given me over to death. Open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And this this is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is good, and he has made his light to shine upon us. Bind the festal sacrifice with cords up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will give thanks to you. You are my God. I will extol you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. For his steadfast love endures forever. Amen. Everyone else, please take your Bible, open up to 1 Peter, the book of 1 Peter. We're in a series here in this letter, and Peter writes his letter very different from the way Paul writes, the way James, Luke write the rest of the New Testament. The only other author that's similar to Peter is the Apostle John, But but in similar fashion, Peter has three big ideas that are in this epistle that he's constantly weaving in and out throughout the whole thing. And there's no real good stopping point. (laughs) So if you've been here the first two weeks, hopefully you're catching these three themes that we have seen in our Chosen Sojourners series. The three themes of 1 Peter, first and foremost, our confidence is in Jesus Christ, our living hope. We've just sung about that, right? He's also weaving in and out the present suffering that the church is facing because the, the Christians at this time are really starting to feel the persecution from Rome. Also, he is continually pointing them to the future glory they have, where God will make all things new. He will restore everything in creation with the new earth, the way he originally intended it to be. And Peter keeps pointing the church to that. So I made an outline of, of chapter 2, 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2 this week, because that's where we left off. The first two weeks, we finished chapter 1, made this outline. I'm looking at it. This is great. And I couldn't help but notice Peter is not done talking about what he was just talking about in chapter 1. It's really a continuation. So I scrapped my outline, and I got stuck on the first three verses of 1 Peter chapter 2. And that's where we're going to be today. 
If you recall, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13 says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So last week, as we were working through the passage, we had three main points on this whole, this whole idea of getting your head right, preparing your mind for action. How do you set your thoughts and align them according to God's will? And the three points were reject the passions of your former ignorance. That was number one, be holy as he is holy, verses 14 through 17. Number two, embrace your ransomed identity. So repudiate your futile inheritance of your old life. You have a new one. And then love one another from a pure heart. Obey the imperishable word of God. Those are the three ways that we get our head right. And the, and the chapter ended with verses 22 through 25. I'm going to go ahead and read those for you. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So where we're going this morning very much hinges on what we just read in verse, verses 22 through 25. And if you are new with us, you missed the last week or the last couple weeks, this is where I want to catch you up to speed right here. To cap off where we left, I want you right now to think about all the different ways you view God. Think about in your mind all the ways you view God and how do you view yourself. We naturally view God according to our own reference points. Maybe it's a shared experience or maybe it's a per very personal experience that you've had. What other people tell you about God, that's baked into it too. But it all pales in comparison to how you feel and where where the circumstances are taking your emotions many times. That does shape our view of God naturally, just according to us. Now, a lot of people hear God loves you, and, and then when they start to suffer in this present life, it gets hard, and, and the curse of sin, the brokenness of this world affects you. It can pull you away from God because it doesn't line up with what you've been told to believe about God and what you're supposed to think about God. This is the same way it works if I was to ask you, how do you view yourself? How would you describe yourself? If you step back and analyze that, how you naturally think about yourself, when you break down all the different ways that you process that question, it has a lot to do with your experiences and your reference points. And if you listen to the I am statements that you say about yourself and you make about yourself, I'm tired or I'm burdened or on the other end of the spectrum, I'm on cloud nine, I'm thankful. Whether you were burnt out or feeling shame or whether you're winning and you're just crushing it in life, how you perform circumstantially usually has a lot to do with how you view yourself. 
What your authorities say is, is definitely a piece of that. But again, we naturally put more emphasis on our experiences and what that is communicating to ourselves. I say all that to say, here's what Peter has for us in this passage. How to set your mind and prepare your mind for action has nothing to do with your circumstances and your shared experiences and your reference points and your feelings. We are to reject the passions of your former ignorance, embrace your ransomed identity, and love one another with a pure heart. That's what he's talking about as far as getting your head right. And all of this, if you look at those three points, they all revolve around what? What did we end with in verse 25? The word of God. So we have to get away from just our natural man, our natural perspective, like how we're wired, our natural DNA, and we have to look to an eternal source of truth to tell us about God and to give us the true picture of our actual redeemed identity in Jesus Christ. All of this revolves around the word of the Lord that remains forever. We are to obey the imperishable word of God. And this is what I want you to see. Life in a fallen world constantly distorts our vision of that. Constantly. It's, it constantly distorts the way you view yourself. Because we are experiencing the results of the fall and the curse of sin. And you have to follow this train of thought. The world is constantly lying to you. People are constantly hurting you. Even your own emotions and your own feelings are affected by the fall. They can mislead you. All around us, things are dying. Things are being corrupted. The glory of man is perpetually fading away. But look back to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. I want to read six verses here for you to remind you of where he's coming from on all this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. Are you catching all three themes already in these verses? In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. The solution for you is always finding your living hope, Jesus Christ, through the living and abiding word of God. Your north star is the revelation of God's truth. This book is preserved by God. It contains promises that are reserved for you in heaven an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. That's what we have here. This word is the good news that was preached to you, as he just said. 
And in chapter 2, Peter is not done talking about this. He's not done talking through this point. There's a lot more he's here, that's here to elaborate on, and we're not even going to get to all of it today, but we are going to park on the first three verses of chapter 2 because Peter is circling back to what he's already established. He's saying it again for emphasis. Rejecting the passions of your former ignorance, that piece is going to come up again. Verse 1 is about, verse one of chapter 2 is about putting away wickedness. And verses 2 and 3 of this chapter, we're going to get more about embracing your ransomed identity. All the while, both of these points are completely centered on the Word of God. So I don't want you to get confused by this, by this outline that I just put up for you, but you can see our three points from last week, and then you can see point 4 and 5 that totally correspond with the last two points. Do you see that? All of it is all about obeying the imperishing word of God. That's at the center of it all because it's pointing us to Christ and it's revealing us our living hope. So you ready to dive into the continuation of 1 Peter this morning? There's definitely a few more points in this chapter. Uh, we have some really good stuff coming up about Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone. If you, if you were here at the beginning of the service, you heard Psalm 118. At, at first, I was very much planning on covering that portion. We're not going to get to that. Today, I just want you to focus on two things, shedding and craving, shedding and craving. This message is about aligning your view of God to his word. It's about locking down your view of yourself again to the living and abiding word of God. It's the one thing we have left in this world that will never fade away, that will never change. So how do you feel? What do your authorities tell you? What do the people who influence you in your life, what do they say? All of that is subservient to the word of God. So you ready to go? Let's look at it together. Chapter 2, verse 1. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Point one today is shedding. Put away wickedness. First of all, there's something that you have to put away. And this isn't an exhaustive list of wickedness. Unfortunately, there's a lot of ways that we can go sideways and then backwards and find ourselves mentally in a ditch. That can happen a lot of different ways. But we need to remember here, in this context, Peter is talking to the church right now. And he's already told us, be holy as he is holy. He's made that emphasis. That's a command back from the Old Testament that is still true today. There's no denying that God has high expectations for his chosen and adopted children. And if, if by saying the word holiness, that sounds a little intimidating to you, I would encourage, encourage you, read this scripture, go back and listen to last week's sermon. It's, it's not something that, that should make you worry and doubt because I can't, I can't do this. This is something that God will prepare you for. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, you are being equipped and filled to do that. We, we spend a lot of time delving into what holiness is and what it's not. But don't miss that as Peter right now is being carried along by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, 
What he's saying is very intentional. Put away all malice, all deceit, and hypocrisy, and envy, and slander. This is written to the church in the context of preparing your mind for action. So church, this is very specific, is it not? This is a list that we need to be on guard against and that we need to shed diligently. Malice is a desire for someone to be harmed or embarrassed. It's, it's, it's you wanting someone else to suffer, wishing, wishing harm on them. Now, it's good to hate evil and to work against evil, absolutely. Uh, protecting children and fighting corruption in society, that's part of loving your neighbor. But that's a completely different thing from wishing harm or failure on someone else. You can be against what that person stands for, but you still need to pray for their soul and maintain a mindset that you want them to get better. That's, that is the, the way that we view people because that's the way God, God desires for us. He, he, he desires for us to come know him. So we should do the same for others. We don't want people to continue in a free fall. You see the difference there? I'm still against the evil, but I, but I want to push that person and help that person find God. In this context, this isn't just some awful thing that the people in the world do. The church can fall into this too. Of course, the world is filled with malice. They don't know Christ. They don't know his love. But for Christians, this wouldn't be in here if we didn't have the temptation to still elevate our own platform, to turn what we're trying to do into a business or get this job done. We, we can actually be prone to compete and to wish ill upon people who do it differently than us. It wouldn't be in here if it wasn't a temptation for us. And Peter says, Put it away. Put that away. Get your eyes off of them and get your eyes on Jesus Christ. Then he adds all deceit. And this is the Greek word doulos. And it was referred to bait on a fishing hook. Who likes fishing? Right? Oh, yeah? A lot of us do. I'm not really a fisherman myself, but I know many of you enjoy it. I respect that. I, I wish I enjoyed it. Maybe one day I will when I retire. I don't know. But, you know, the bait on the hook, the fish thinks it's going to get a meal. And when the fish takes that bait, the fish many times becomes the meal, right? <laughs> what a deceptive thing. That's the ultimate deception. So this says all of that, deception, deceit, dishonesty, falsehood, that's a massive category of hidden sin. So we have malice, this wickedness that's out in the open, like, I don't like that guy. And then we have deceit, the hidden sin, the stuff that you keep secret, that people don't know about. You want to hide that part. This is the private stuff. There are people who talk the talk. They do everything they can to sound spiritual. And they have the guise that they love God and wants what's best for you. There's people out there in the world, and there's even people that creep into the church like this that are full of deceit. And thirdly, he says hypocrisy. Originally, it's the word for an actor wearing a mask, and we know what hypocrisy is. It's phoniness. Get rid of that. Be real. Be honest. Be transparent. 
And then envy, wanting what others have, wanting to be who others are, resenting their situation, resenting their status, resenting their opportunities. They have this privilege that I don't have. You get a victim mentality, which leads to grudges, bitterness, hatred, conflict. All of those things are all part of that. Get rid of it all. So you start dealing with wickedness, the general wickedness of your own heart, and then you go inside and find all the hidden deceit. And once that goes, the hypocrisy goes, and then you start working on the attitudes that have caused you to have these bad relationships. All slander. Because whenever you have, have, have this bad attitude towards someone else and you want what they have, guess what follows from that? Talking bad about them. Slandering them. Malicious gossip, tearing down other people, defamation, disparagement. All of these things build on each other. And again, they're the opposite of what we saw in chapter 1, verse 22, which said, love one another with a pure, sincere love. Brotherly love, Philadelphia. Remember, we are told to earnestly love one another from a pure heart. So you deal with your sin, you confess your sin, you repent, and you cry out to God to help you to remove it. That's what we have here in verse 1. Part of your Christian life is spiritual warfare. It's the battle between the lust, the old natural man desires of looking at things the wrong way, looking at yourself wrong, and, and just looking at God for the, for the image that you want him to be, it's between the battle of the lust, of the flesh, and the spirit that now resides in every believer of Jesus Christ. So to strip this off, to shed these passions of your former ignorance, you have to be walking and talking with God and abiding in Christ, which happens when you are in his word. That's when it happens. True repentance is a work of the Holy Spirit, where you are turning from the old towards the new, the new that you have in Jesus Christ. You have to cry out to the Holy Spirit to do that work in you. And, and the original language here in this, this word, so put away, this is not just a casual exchange. I'm using the word shedding this morning because this verb in its, in its original state in the Greek is a compounded verb. And whenever you have in the original Greek language a compound verb, it's an intensifier. So this is an intense kind of tearing off, like tearing off filthy clothes. You're sweaty, you've played basketball, get that gross shirt off, right? Just get it off of me. This is the same language used a number of times by Paul, in Romans, Ephesians, and Colossians, Colossians, it's also used by James. And when they use this very language of putting off and putting on, they are talking about stripping it off these filthy rags of the flesh. And as I was studying this this week, I came across this. I had never heard it before, but the early church, there was a group in the early church that when they got baptized, they would actually get baptized with their old dirty, filthy clothes. So they would go to the water wearing their nasty garments that were soiled and stinky and muddy and all of the rest, whatever it was they had. They didn't wash it. 
They got baptized. And then when they came out of the water, they went to a place to change into new clothes. Further exemplifying the picture that we have and the new life we have in Christ. I just think that's an awesome idea. I think we should do that in our church. So next baptism, please wear some dirty clothes. And we'll give you a new, we'll give you some new clothes. We'll give you a new shirt and you can change into whatever you want to change in after that. But in the light of our new life that has begun, in the light of the new life that we've been given, get rid of these ugly old hindrances that are, that are hanging on from our residual failure and fallenness. Those components of the old life. They are, they are a stench that destroys the fragrance of the new life that we have in Christ. Have you ever gotten an article of clothing that just has a stench that you can't get out? I, I was, <laughs> I just, I don't, I can't believe I, can't believe I f- forgot this and remembered it this week, but my cousin, one Christmas, like I was like, I don't know, 12 years old. He was probably like 16 years old. He got me and the whole family draw when like everybody gets a name right and you get, you get one gift to, to one cousin. And he gave me a North Carolina basketball shooting warm-up shirt. It was like, had the buttons and everything. It was like the official North Carolina warm-up shirt. And I was like, this is awesome. Uh, and I, I put it on and it smelled like cigarettes. I was like, oh, Wow, this wasn't brand new. He's like, yeah, I, ha- I had that. That was, that was mine, and I don't, I don't need it anymore. It's like, thanks. <laughs> thanks, cousin. And uh, I mean, he's 16. I'm not trying to throw him under the bus here. He's 16. You know, he probably shouldn't have been smoking cigarettes, obviously. <laughs> but I got this, and it was a terrible gift. I never really wore it. Besides, I wore it like twice, and I was like, I can't do this. It smells like cigarettes. And I threw it away. You don't need the old garments all these old things of your old sinful passions, get rid of those, shed those, and focus on what you have in Christ. So now we're here. Don't lose the aroma of the new. Like, like we're here in Christ, church. Here comes the second point. This is, this is another piece that complements this. It's, it's the craving part. These, these really go hand in hand. But look verse two. Look at verse two with me. Like newborn infants long for pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Point number two is long for the word. You need a craving here. We need to shed and we need to crave something better. Many translations say long for the pure milk of the word. To long for, again, is an imperative verb that is a compound intensifier verb. Epipatheo. Epi, it's, it's intensifying this desire or craving. The Greek version of the Old Testament uh, was called the Septuagint. And if you go back and read the Septuagint, like the Greek version of the Old Testament... In Psalm 42.1, you have this word there for, as the deer pants for flowing waters, so my soul pants after you, O God. It's the same idea. It's also the same, the same word that we have in the Septuagint of, the, of Psalm 119, verse 174. 
That, that same Greek word is used to express the psalmist's desire to delight in the law of the Lord. This verb, to long for, to desire, to crave, it's this intense, compelling craving. It's actually found nine times in the New Testament, so in the original Greek. And, and James is one of the guys who uses it. Paul uses it seven times. Peter uses it once. James uses it once. James says, he, he uses this word as a jealous desire, that kind of desire that is solo, solitary, expecting everything else to fade away and focus on this one thing. That's what I'm craving. He's demanding a consuming craving for something that is pure in the midst of a world of impurities, amidst a world of full of corrupting things, contaminated things, which evil hearts lust for. He calls for a singular kind of craving that is unadulterated and uncontaminated. The word of God. The word pure is an agricultural context talking about food that's been purified so it's edible, oil that has been purified so it's usable. Uncontaminated, pure milk, the kind that comes from the breast of the mother to a newborn infant. doesn't go anywhere else but straight into the mouth of that little baby. Think about all the things that Peter could have said here. Peter doesn't just command them to read the word of God, as Paul did in 1 Timothy Chapter 4, he doesn't command them to study the word, as Paul says in 1 Timothy 2. He doesn't command them to even meditate on the word, as we're commanded to do at the end of Psalm 119. He's not even suggesting, as we read in Acts 17, that we are to search the word. He doesn't say to wield the word as a sword right here, like Ephesians 6 talks about. He doesn't tell us to hide God's word in our heart, like Psalm 119.11 says, all of those things are essential, but at the foundation of all of those different things, we have a sincere craving for the word of God. Long for it. The pure, unadulterated, spiritual milk of the word. That's the foundational component to all of those other things. And Peter uses this simple analogy. He says, desire the pure milk of the word like newborn babies. He reaches into the physical world to find this perfect illustration. Babies crave milk, right? What else do babies crave? Anything? Can you think of anything else a baby craves? What else do babies cry for? Well, mostly it's milk. That's what it is usually. I mean, the parents, I mean, we're in this world right now, like, you know, Julie and I are at this stage of life where you care about the color of the, of the wall, right? And the, and the colors of the curtains and the crib. And yeah, it's good. I, I love being all about those things. We care about that. Baby doesn't care. They don't care about the cute little outfits. They just want milk. They, they don't scream because they're offended by the color of their pajamas sometimes or the terrible pattern of their pajamas. No, they just want milk. And isn't it amazing that everything about a baby is wonderful and genteel and soft and cuddly and inviting? Everything about a baby is like that. 
except their screaming, screeching voice when they want milk. It's ear piercing. It's, it's basically completely alien to the rest of the baby. Everything else about that baby is, is not, ah! But God's made them that way because you're never going to forget to feed them when they need their milk, right? You can't forget that. Don't miss the fact. Oh, wow. Someone needs milk right now. Yeah. Uh, what, what an illustration, though. <laughs> I, I hope you have that kind of craving. Do you have anything remotely close to that kind of craving for the word of God? Do you crave it more than anything else? Newborn infants, they don't care about who's in their face. They don't care about how the house looks like. They don't care about what town they're in. They have one God-given driving, obsessive, instinctive craving, and that is for the pure milk that they can receive. God has made them that way. He has hardwired us. The one thing that we need for nourishment, for strengthening, the antibodies we need to fight off all the things in this world that are coming at us, it's found right here in this pure spiritual milk. And I don't want you to confuse another analogy that, that Paul used in 1 Corinthians when he was talking about the meat of the word, right? That, that is actually a different analogy from a different person about something completely different. So we can't mix our metaphors here. Peter is saying every believer at all times in every season, the mature ones and the young ones and the old ones and the old, like everyone should be craving the word of God just as a baby craves milk. So, do you crave milk or do you crave something else? I think some Christians crave a product of milk. I think some Christians crave hot fudge sundaes, okay? I want you to follow with me on this. When we're talking about the word of God and the movement of the spirit through his word, there are so many people that, that desire a piece of this, a version of this. But, they, but when you really boil it down, what they're desiring is sensationalism. They desire the hot fudge sundae. They want their ears to be tickled. They want to feel good. They want to be empowered. They want a positive and encouraging message. And a lot of churches know this. And they advertise this, and they go all in on this. And it's not the pure milk of the word, it's hot fudge Sunday. 21st century marketing concepts get placed into the church. It's glitz and glamour, shock and awe. And at first glance, it's pretty compelling, right? It tastes pretty good. Everyone loves a good hot fudge Sunday. But is that how you grow, if that's your diet? If you just have a steady diet of that, what's going to happen? What are you craving? Please step back and ask yourself, what do you crave more than anything? Are you craving an emotional experience? Are you craving an incredible relationship and deep friendship with someone else? 
I mean, there's nothing wrong with those things. Julie and I just did a podcast on emotions, like, like a biblical viewpoint of emotions. And, and they're created by God. They're wonderful. They're, that's going to play a part in experiencing God. Absolutely. But it shouldn't be your number one craving. Or are you elevating people? I saw the other day, uh, I, saw, I saw a post about this person, and they were just raving about the people of their church and how there's these people coming from all over the place to visit because, because these people ha- are weary from the lukewarmness of the Western church, and they're craving something special that's here that these people have. Here's where, this is where the fire's at. And the emphasis was all on the people and the experience And it wasn't on Jesus Christ in the nourishment of the word of God. Are you craving spiritual junk food, feel-good comfort food that has all sugar and nothing sustainable? Is that what you're craving? Are you craving potato chips and soft drinks that energize you for a short time and inevitably lead to a crash? Or is it the pure milk of the word? could go on all day with this analogy, but here's the problem with junk food and hot fudge Sunday Christianity. We don't grow strong through it. In the real world, a steady diet of that will make you unfit. It will taste good. It is exciting to eat, but it isn't nourishing. And when real testing comes, the real storms of life happen. You're finding yourself weak and anemic and you just either start faking it or you get dis- disenfranchised. You need the word of God, which reveals our living hope, Jesus Christ. So here's the litmus test. Verse three, what does it say? Taste and see that the Lord, he is good. That's what you're looking for. Read the word to find God your savior. He loves you. He's good. If it's not point if whatever you're searching for is not pointing you back to that, it's going to lead you down a wrong path. Does your spiritual experience revolve around other people and good ideas and inspirational quotes and powerful testimonies, jaw-dropping experiences? All of those things are good. They need to be in their proper place though because it has to be centered on Jesus Christ. When I preach Christ, I don't want you walking away or anyone else thinking, oh, look at that person, or whoa, that was incredible thought. No, I want you to be in awe of Jesus Christ. That's what happens when we make the word primary. The Holy Spirit points us to Jesus Christ. Keep Christ first above all else. The only way you get a pure, unsanitized, undiluted vision of Jesus is through his word. All the rest of those things will flow. God will use the testimonies. He will use all of those other things. But keep them in balance. What's what's central? It's what we're doing right now. It's preaching the word. We have a worship service to God. Our service is to him and for him. And if you don't know God, you're welcome to be here. But the service isn't for any of us. We, we receive blessing from it. We're strengthened by it, absolutely. But we are gathered here to worship God. That's what the church is called to do. 
There are plenty of times and places in the life of this church to share a testimony, to speak truth into someone's life that's edifying. Sunday morning worship is to worship God and to get in his word. We sing to him, of course. We use our gifts, absolutely. We build one another up. It's all looking to Christ, and that is paramount. We can't let our experiences or people crowd that out. So ask yourself, what are you craving? Are you puffing yourself up with what you know? Overanalyzing things? Are, are you sitting on someone else's lap and falling over their words and the way they make you feel? Or are you craving the word of the Lord that remains forever? The good news that was preached to you so, so that you may grow up into your salvation, so that you may mature in Christ and become more like Jesus Christ. The process of sanctification. That's verse 2. When you emphasize anything other than the gospel of Jesus Christ, over time, you are going to feel the effects. It's like you're eating a really greasy hamburger and fries. Again, tastes good in the moment. I can't help, this, I can't help it with this analogy, all right? Like, meat and potatoes, are those good things? Yes. Get an amen right there. That's like, praise God, meat and potatoes. But if you constantly fry, your, fry it in grease and slab it with butter... You're, 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 yeah. If that's all you do with it, though, over and over and over again, you're not getting the purest form of it. There are a lot of good spiritual truths that taken out of context and out of balance can become hurtful over time. We could, we could go on. I, I could give you a huge list. I'm just going to hit a couple. First one is um, you can overemphasize fellowship. Fellowship is awesome. I love fellowship. I'm the social one in my family. I, I could do it every single day. Julie won't let me. But if you let your time with other people get in the way of your time in the word of God, or if you just focus on hanging out with people and having fun all the time, and you never even just focus on loving your family and leading your family and raising your kids, guess what? It's like eating too many Oreos over time your immune system is going to be weakened. What about the gifts of the Spirit? We love the gifts of the Spirit. And before you know it, you're praying over people, speaking truth into people's lives, whether it's a prophetic word or a gift of hospitality. But if it's overemphasized to the point that you don't have a place for the word of God, primarily, you're going to feel the effects. What The word of God is what fills you and satisfies your soul. Serving is a great thing. That's another one. You can overemphasize that. You can, you can take a great thing like confession. Great thing. We are to confess our sins one to another. When we relationally hurt someone, we should go to them and we should restore that relationship. But you can't cheapen confession into a behavioral thing. It's like, okay, I checked that off, and now I'm good now. I got it out in the open, so great. That's the solution. I can feel better about myself now. No, you confess things to people who you've hurt. You confess things to God. I mean, it's already under the blood, but you're just, you're just keeping your relationship great. God, I'm sorry that I did that. I, I want to put that away. Help me. 
Confession isn't something that you need to keep going back to again and again and again to the same person and stabbing a knife in their heart because I think that's just the solution to get over this. It should wreck you if you've actually hurt someone. Confess it to the people who you hurt. Make that right. But not everyone has to hear that. Good things can get out of place. And every time the word of God is de-emphasized when that happens. Serving is a great thing, but please don't crave that more than you crave the word of God. We could go on all day. I'm going to end it there. But the word of God, if you catch my point today, we keep hammering this nail, right? The word of God is active and living. It's the oasis in the desert that refreshes and satisfies. Nothing else can satisfy you. I don't care how many great things that come about in the Christian life and in the life of the church. All those things God will use, but nothing will refresh you and satisfy you like hearing the unadulterated truth of God's word spoken to you through the power of the Holy Spirit as you open up his love letter to you. That's what builds you up. Worship team, you can come up right here. So let me go back to the opening questions. How do you view God and how do you view yourself? Really, seriously, think about that. When you view yourself, do you feel like you have it all figured out? Do you feel like people need to listen to you? Again, where's your emphasis? Is it on the word? Is the word gonna give that person what they need? If only people did it my way, life would be so much better. If those kind of thoughts are circling in your mind, I've been there too. I'm not trying to just, I'm not trying to stomp on your toes. Like I've been there too. Go back to the word of God. You need to start craving the word of God and taste and see that he is good and you are not. We can't fix people with our ideas. The Holy Spirit fixes people. Jesus is the solution. Jesus is the answer. Point people to the word of God. Do you like to debate semantics? Do you like to, to get in those arguments with people? Do you like to consume yourself with news and all the problems of this world? I don't know what it is. Taste and see that he is good. Crave the word of God. Do you feel shame and disappointment? You feel like you're a failure and you're just constantly upset at yourself? with this low-grade anger at yourself? Well, the world, what do they tell you? Accept yourself, love yourself, be the real version of you. That's nothing but a hot fudge sundae, okay? That will temporarily give you a high and it will fade away. Put away your own wickedness don't let that define you and renew and renew your mind instead with the truth of God's word. Align your feelings to the truth 
that God has revealed to you, the truth that God says about you in his word. And he says that you are chosen. He says that you were redeemed. You're now a sojourner in this world. If you know Jesus Christ, this world is not your home. That's the truth that you go back to. So in closing our message today, I'm going to actually put this down here. And we have some cards and some pens that I'm going to put at the table. And these are our prayer request cards. And one of the most powerful things you can do in your prayer time is, is pray a psalm or pray the word of God. But I want, you, I want you to do two things right now. This is for two separate people. I'll, I'll, I'll go with the first one here. This is for the person who says, you know what, David, as you were speaking through 1 Peter chapter 2, there was, a, there was something the Holy Spirit convicted me of. There was something the Holy Spirit just brought to my mind. There was a verse. There was a passage of Scripture. There was a truth that I realized I was not applying to my life. And if you haven't had that happen to you yet, I'm going to pray right now that, Lord, show them something. But whatever that is, whether it's a verse, whether it's something that, like, I know I need to get better at trusting God with my anxiety, handing that over to him, whatever that is, I would like for you to come up and grab one of these cards and write that on there. Write what it is, write a passage of scripture, whatever that is. Take that home with you, put it somewhere this week. And every time you're bored, every time you have a chance to breathe, go back to that and, and, and crave the word of God. So that's the first person. You can start coming up now if you want to, if you want to go ahead and start doing that. Just think through that, pray through that. The second person that I'm going to invite up here is the person who does not know where to go. You, you know you need help. You have anger problems. You, you have family trouble. You have doubts. You, you, you don't know where to go in Scripture. If, if you don't have an answer from Scripture, this is what I want you to do. It's going to be a little different. But I want you to take the same card, write your name on it, and just put... This is what I need to find out. This is, what, this is the truth that I'm searching for. We will take that card and we will give you an answer from God's word with that. If, if you need a verse on, on fighting lust, fighting your temptation, write that down. If you don't have any verses, we will give you some verses for that. If you need a verse on having boldness and confidence to share your faith, in a wicked and hostile environment that you find yourself surrounded by, and you don't know where to turn to in God's word for something like that, write it down. Put it, put it right back on this table, and we'll make sure you get that this week. God's word reveals our living hope, our confident expectation. Jesus Christ suffered and died in this present life, in this world. And he is coming again because he rose again from the grave. He defeated sin and death. He is making all things new as we speak. 
In the church, you're part of that. You have the message of the truth. We have the eternal word of God that will never fade away. We cannot de-emphasize it. We have to look to Jesus Christ. Let the Holy Spirit speak to us through his word. Would you stand up? I know some of you are still working on that. As we sing this song, there's plenty of time for you to come up. If the Lord gives you something, come up and grab a card. If you need to return a card, do that as well. And as we continue this invitation, may you just pray. Seek the Lord to show you something. Make it clear, Lord, right now to the people in this room that you are good, that you are found right here, that we can see you through your word. Lord, we love you and we thank you for all that you have done for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Say it together. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly love. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. And seek to show hospitality. You are loved.